This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's the right place to go. And getting that balance in place. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com, and your host. Who are you guys? Well, I'm Chris Budd. And I'm Phil Shaw. Welcome. Right, the season's over. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, t- took 24 hours or so. Well, it took longer than that. After the, the victory, I, I was ill. I, I couldn't speak properly. So uh, the last thing you want to do is an audio podcast when you uh, are blocked up. But anyway, here we are. We're now in Europe. How does it feel? Pretty good, yeah. Like you didn't know whether you wanted something, and then it arrives and you go, "Oh, I did want this after all." Mm, it's only the conference, though. To quote the great philosopher J.J. Ramsey, <laughs> it does sound like a philosopher's name, doesn't it? it sounds like a, a, a poet laureate. Is that, is that it's like a great right? clip. Yeah, I'll play it now. That's Konza telling JJ's been a cunt because they see the amount <laughs> they see the amount of people there, and I think the genuine it's like what yeah. the fuck because it is. I was impressed as well, and that's why he says it's only the conference. <laughs> which uh, is pretty funny, if you ask me. And then they're like, oh, shit, we're recording. Oh, don't be a dick, man, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I was the other side, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not Mr. Getting Nervous and all that kind of stuff. I turned up like five minutes before the game, so I missed out on all the uh, welcoming the coach and everything. But it was, it was better than I uh, could ever envisage, actually, because times have changed. I think a lot of it's down to social media and, and the kind of perpetual hype machine. Obviously, you've got, like, podcasts and YouTubers and uh, it, it kind of creates this kind of FOMO and everybody gets into it more because if you go back I always remember a conversation I had with the then communications director of Aston Villa this was like in the in the lead up to uh, Alex McLeish getting the job and they would they thought I was like the ringleader of this protest about McLeish which I wasn't I mean I was just a, a fan 
living out of town, actually, minded my own business. But uh, got into many conversations is how my own actually started. But I always remember him, and this guy was employed by Martin O'Neill, basically to be his rottweiler in terms of the press. Because he, he didn't expect many people would turn up to this protest because he said, yeah, look, you know, look what happened when your your so-called messiah came, Martin O'Neill. He said, you know, there's only about 20 people there to greet him. And, you know, he's right. You know, it's about 30 odd people, wasn't there? And, and you always compared that to like, you know, in Italy when something's going on or when the greeting coaches for European games and it's absolutely flares and or like fireworks Barca everywhere. Or like the whole new camp's full. Yeah, new signings. Even like in Turkey, they go crazy as well. And so you, I always thought about that. It's like, yeah, it's a bit, le- I mean, Villa, it's like on another level of lameness. But this was reassuring to see. And yeah. it was like, oh, this, this is good for hopefully what's to come. Well, it's better than the last high-profile coach incident Villa had at Wickham, isn't it? Who <laughs> <laughs> uh, could forget that one? Years, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'd look, I, maybe I should play the audio of that. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Albacuna! <laughs> that was one of, the, one of the highlights of supporting Villa, even though it was a low-light humour, it was uh, certainly up there. But yeah, and, and, and the atmosphere at Villa Park, uh, in right. terms of eardrum rattling was again i kind of look at it in two lights it's the here and now you're obviously experiencing the moment and you just think this is you, you think of what it can be like regularly yeah, man how, in, how many times on, on a bigger stage and chasing proper you know having fist fights with the top four regularly you, you're just thinking this this is what you pay your money for you don't pay your money for some of the shit that we've been watching and 17 points in a season and Losing to Barnsley on Valentine's night in the championship and stuff like that. Just dreadful. They don't remember this when suddenly Villa win a few games and suddenly they hook the prices up twice on the trot and significant percentages as well. It's like, well, give us one fucking season without breaking our balls just because you've won a couple of games. (laughs) But anyway, so atmosphere was great before, during the game and after. Yeah, it was a really good day. And we're not even halfway to where we uh want to be so that's what i'm that's what i'm hoping it's like mm. these are the firm building blocks in terms of crowd atmosphere that uh, will be built on and i'm hoping it's going to start next season where we really start to... it's kind of funny you're looking at the mainstream press and you know bbc the usual fucking pundits chris sutton Mikael richards and they're posing the question can villa make the top four next season nobody believes that they were a threat at all it's just a laugh it's like oh you know plucky little upstarts give them a nice conference league place to uh reward them and then we'll never see them again because there's too many games in that competition and they'll uh, be dragged down like West Ham have been. That's how they see us. And they haven't watched much of us and they sure as hell don't realise how wealthy our owners are. Yeah, and, and they don't realise how in kind fact, of naively driven... so. They just think we've got like, some local businessman with a couple of million quid in his back pocket. Yeah, and they look at, they don't give it Emery en- enough respect still. I mean, the way Richards was, he was like, what, Villa? Top ch- challenge, top five? It's like a big joke to him. Yeah, but Richards is, Richards is a cock. <laughs> oh shit <laughs> we're going into slander uh, territory here that escalated very quickly <laughs> it did didn't it i mean i, I like richards i don't i don't mind he's him, funny but, to be fair but but in terms of his uh, flippant remarks of i mean he he was at villa in one of our worst 
periods ever. I mean, so, certainly in terms of mimicking a circus, uh, I don't think we've ever been as close to a circus as we were during that period. But but still, it's on and off the field. <laughs> Nobody's taking Villa seriously. Well, we've gone under the radar for months, haven't we? Even It wasn't really, I don't think, until we beat Newcastle that anybody started taking us remotely seriously, as it were, like <laughs> even ourselves, probably. I think the double Chelsea-Leicester win put the season yeah. uh, into a realms of, oh, there's possibilities here. The, the Newcastle well, it was... Three, was, it was, it was yeah, it was three games in seven days, wasn't it? Chelsea, Leicester and Nottingham Forest we beat inside seven days. And then the Newcastle game was the one where you thought, oh, actually, yeah, we've, we've got potential here. But yep. a real big one was this, for me, showed... Uh, Gave me a little little bit of insight into what we can possibly expect in terms of how far we can go in, in terms of European competition. It was the way where we went to Anfield, we needed a point at least to have any chance of realistic chance of uh, getting into that uh, Europa Conference League spot. And the way we went to Anfield and the way we came away with a point, job done. And we're like, uh, I was going to say one minute away, but more like 11 minutes away from actually get, <laughs> yeah, get, from getting three. the win there. So that, that yeah. was, uh, I mean, look at the table now and you just see that one point above Spurs and Spurs have got a better goal difference. And you just think that Anfield point literally gave us the European football, regardless of what happened against yeah. Brighton, that, that one point. I sort of felt relatively relaxed going into the Brighton game because I just thought that Liverpool result was so big. I think that'll be the, the point that does it. Because I always, it, yeah. I kind of always felt we'd beat Brighton on the last day. That would sort of take care of itself. There's too many factors in Villa favour on the last day. It's like, yeah, Brighton have already done their business for this season. They've got where they want to be. They're yeah. certainly playing, you know, multiple teenagers against us. And we've got a big crowd that's pumped up for it. Yeah. And, it, you know, you should be winning that game. It was the Liverpool one that basically crippled Liverpool season, but all <laughs> but basically gave us that, that European spot, which we'll, we'll talk yeah. about more at the uh, end of the show. And uh, we'll do a uh, My Old Man Said Members extra show on the, the European uh, picture, which it still has to solidify in terms of who's going to be in it as a, as a life threat, because the Spanish and Italian leagues obviously conclude this coming weekend. So we'll have a clearer picture then. But I mean, it doesn't really matter because uh, it's not as if it's like you're trying to avoid Barcelona and Real Madrid. We'll, we'll take on all comers. We don't really care at the, in that tournament. Line them up, we'll knock them down. <laughs> Apart from Juventus, if they... Uh, <laughs> I, I, want, I want them. That if they're in that so tournament, good. I want them in the final. I, I want them 100%. I'm not looking for them to get knocked out in a shock. I want, I want their head on a spike. Well, they wanted your head on a spike, didn't they, many years ago? <laughs> They were the last team. Uh, they the last team to beat us in the Champions League. Of course. And I had the feeling as a kid when it happened that it's literally we've been on a we've been enjoying a train ride and then we'd never be on this train again for a very very long time. It's like they unceremoniously kicked us off it and we kind of rolled down the the grassy hill and waved the train goodbye as it went off into the distance. But yes, uh, the beating them in the Peace Cup, I, I, I was more excited about that Peace Cup win over Juventus than pretty much 95% of Villa wins uh, in the last two decades. So I'd love to play them uh, in that tournament or late, later in, down the line uh, in the uh, any European competition. Anyway, uh, we're, we're kind of going off script here, not that there is a script, going off plan, should we say. Before we go on, a big shout out to the sponsors of these shows, NordVPN. If you're in the market for a decent VPN package to provide safety for your online browsing and streaming, especially if you've got a Fire Stick, or you want access 
because obviously you can change your IP address. You want access to other TV packages that might be cheaper than the ones uh, that you have to use through whatever country you are in. Then NordVPN offers a deal where I think you get about 60% off. And that in- also, on top of that, you get four free months free. Four months free. And best of all, you also get 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can trial it. Use, you can use it up to six devices so you can share around your family. And it's very useful for a multitude of things. So for the price of a coffee a month, it's worth uh, checking out. Go to www.nordvpn, N-O-R-D-V-P-N.com slash moms, M-O-M-S, and get further details there. Thank you very much. Coming up, we will get into all the villain news. We'll do the three points. We'll get into that Brighton game quickly as well, the main observations from it, as well as ending uh, with some media muppetry. So to get things going, let's have some news... Uh, here's a headline. Seagulls labelled psycho gulls after they stole drugs and got stoned. Where's that from? That's got to be the Brighton Argos. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it, was actually, it was actually via the New York, uh, New York Times, but it was based down there. What happened? In multiple seaside towns, apparently this has been happening. The local seagull populations are feeling the effects of the drug spice after they've been stealing it from like leftovers well, in the Are you talking about the film June? Is this real life? <laughs> this is actual real life. So apparently the, the seagulls have been ingesting spice who go slightly mad and have been starting to dive bomb pedestrians before hitting the concrete on the floor and collapsing. Is, is that spice actually a drug? It's the first time I've heard about spice. Yeah. yeah. I might live, live in a sheltered life. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty horrible one as well. Maybe I need to get out more. Is it up there with fentanyl? It is. Yeah, not quite as bad as that, but it's probably the... Well, you don't yeah. see people dive bombing with after a dose of fentanyl, do you? They're just arching over like zombies. How does it have that effect on seagulls? It's obviously an upper as well as a downer, is it? Well, there you go. We need, we need to find... We need to go and... Uh... We need to go out <laughs> the more. research. We need to go <laughs> yeah. to the seaside more often. <laughs> right, I think we should have some villainies. First of all, as everybody will know, we are in the third tier UEFA tournament. It's not the Intertoto Cup, people. It's the Europa Conference League. We will get the draw for that, actually, uh, at the start of August. I think August the 7th or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they draw it ahead of the final qualifying round, don't they, I think? And then the, and playoff then the fixture picture, will be played yeah. uh, in the final week of August, uh, the double leg yeah. playoff that Villa are in, which if they win, then they go into the group stages. And I expect nothing less than six wins out of six in the group stages. None of this rest in the boys and playing Cameron Archer in goal and uh, Olsen <laughs> up front and all that kind of malarkey. <laughs> That'd be a great watch, to be fair. Yeah, well, yeah, probably would liven things up a bit. Also, what else has happened? It's the end of season awards, uh, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm, I'm never one for these awards, actually. I, I never get excited. Uh, it's because they never happen at the end of the season. They always happen like a week or two before. Yeah, it's, how can you have your end of season awards when there's still a, the biggest game? Well, in our case, one of the biggest games of the season left. It doesn't make any sense. Because Just because the players want to dick off on holiday as soon as that final whistle goes. You're within about two hours later, they're on private jets. Yeah, Ramsey won the Premier League Graduate of the Year. Uh, past winners, Saka, Mount, Rashford. So that's a good sign. And he, he's been great. He was especially great against Brighton. I mean, Brilliant. We'll that later, we'll come on to that. Explosive. 
Mm-hmm. He also won the uh, the club's uh, Young Player of the Year, Players Player of the Year, Fans Player of the Year, Douglas Louise, Goal of the Season, Truray against Leicester, Women's Player of the Year, Rachel Daly, who also won uh, the Golden Boots, the Women's Super League season, Golden Boots, Player of the Season, Goal of the Season, Jordan Nobbs, Women's Young Player of the Year, Laura Blinkill-Brown. This, is, this was a bit weird for me. I don't want to be a... Uh, a Grinch. Actually, I, I, I think my old man said was the first people to actually break the news of we were going to sign Jed Steer. I mean, uh, we got it from a, a source within the club, so we could never mention his name because it was a bit too specific. This is going back 10 years. So uh, I'd always say, yeah, kind of third string uh, Norwich young goalkeepers coming our way. Put it out, you know, ages ago because we had the whole list of everybody we were signing that year but uh, we couldn't like say the whole thing so we kind of drip fed it in because it was laughable some of the players on the list yeah. probably Bakuna Jordan Bowery <laughs> Nicholas Hellenius all those kind of creeps <laughs> But Jed Steer, he's been doing the like the social media rounds, and as if he's some kind of big legend. I and mean, this is no disrespect to Jed Steer. And obviously, you know, his, his penalty saves against West Brom are his calling. And you know, obviously, he played in the playoff final as well. But he was injured most of the time, wasn't he? <laughs> but it's when you break down the the cold hard numbers are pretty the damning, cold when the, when you do when you do the numbers. He's played nineteen games for Villa in ten years. <laughs> And about 14 of those were in the one year in the 10-game run in the playoffs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you could say, right, let's say he's on 20K, 20K a, a week. He'd be making 546,000 an appearance. <laughs> now, if you said to Unless me... Unless other oh, teams took his wages on, hopefully they did. Yeah, you could say, well, yeah, you know, but he played, went on loan, so, and uh, also probably wasn't on 20k when we're in the championship. Well, you can, okay, that's half that. That's half that amount. Just say <laughs> 10k average over the 10 years. Now that's over a quarter of a million per parents. So crazy. Cra- this, this guy's a mil- you know, multi millionaire from playing 19 games for Villa. He's like uh, yeah. doing what Scott Carson's doing at Manchester City at the moment. So I, I can't get it's a bit like Martin Larson never played a, what, he played about nine, 80 odd games, 90 games for Villa. And he's like some kind of superhero legend uh, in how he's regarded when really, you know, it's, it's so easy nowadays, isn't it? You just have a few pictures on social media and you're suddenly a legend. I mean, Larson was a very good player, let's be fair, compared to Jed Steele. Yeah, but Larson was injured most of the time. I mean, that yeah, is the... Probably injured more games than he did actually play, put it that way. But uh, anyway, I'm not... You know, good, luck to him, to, yeah. good luck to him, but I don't know about the whole this kind of legendary stuff when you've only played 19 games well, in normally 10 after years. A course, normally after 10 years at a club, you'd get a testimonial. Hmm. Too much Can time on him. He's, he's, we've already spoken <laughs> about him for more minutes than he's actually played for the club. <laughs> Villa returned to uh, the Hong Kong Sevens. This used to be bigger, you know, always, they always made a big fuss about the Hong Kong Sevens. We haven't played for the last four years. I mean, obviously COVID didn't help, but we went back there and won it again. I mean, I think it got attention because it was the only thing we could actually win for uh, the past decade or so. So that's seven times we've won it now. Meanwhile, good news for Mings. Tyrone Mings is back in the England squad, as he bloody well should be. I think he's been immense, considering how he was kicked in the nuts at the start of the season by Gerard and publicly. publicly and obviously, Gerard's had a word with Southgate. Anyway, it's good to see him back. Uh, no place for Watkins, but if you're going to miss a penalty at Anfield, it's not a very good dress rehearsal for taking penalties for England, is it? No. Especially when you've missed five out of your nine penalties. And Callum Wilson's been in you know, good form and a good side. 
And I, th- I think the way Watkins plays as a, you know, he's not a target man, is he? And I think he scored 10, 10 out of 11 penalties in the Premier League, Wilson. Mm. You'd think missing penalties would be a prerequisite for England squad. But that's the th- thing Villa have to look at because you can't be playing in European football without five guys that can take penalties because it's you're bound to end up law of averages. You'll end up in some shootout along the way. Speaking of uh, a Villa player that actually took a penalty and scored, marvellous Nakamba. I thought he was going to miss as well. <laughs> <laughs> Great penalty, though. Cool all as the you penalties like. were really, really good. good. Oh, the guy who really missed one good, for yeah. Cov. And then, of course, the guy who missed the Coventry Axed. one got dropped yeah. in when he got released about two days later. Yeah. How harsh is that? If your contract's just about to come to a close at the end of the month, it's probably not a good idea to miss a penalty in a playoff uh, final. <laughs> He found out the hard way, although, uh, you know, hopefully he's uh, all right because it is a bit of a very bad week for him. Meanwhile, uh, Villa women's team ended up the season with a notable win against Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal had a lot of injuries, but then you looked at Villa and they only had three players on the bench. So they were down to the bare minimum as well. But to beat one of the uh, the top four 2-0 away from home uh, is a great marker to go with the two wins over Manchester City as well. And, you know, they beat Manchester United in uh, the Conti Cup as well on penalties. It's very similar to Villa men, actually. You want to be beating the top teams and making life really hard for them. And uh, the Villa women are doing that. And it's like Villa men's, it's going to be in- very intriguing next season. Uh, meanwhile, the end of season pitch, uh, the only thing that relates to Villa is next season we'll be playing Sheffield United, Burnley, Luton. Down go the Saints, Leeds and Leicester. I think uh, Southampton, whatever. Leeds, I, I, I kind of like them as a character to hate, if you know what I mean. Or not hate, but you know. Yeah, everyone likes a pantomime. I think they're kind of, they? you know, their fans are all right and... Uh, kind of shame to see them because you know it's bad rather be having a battle against Leeds than bloody Burnley or Luton to be honest yeah they're not the most inspiring teams coming up no but you kind of looking at it and you're thinking about the points tally and uh, mm. hopefully yep. oh hopefully to be honest with you if you look at Southampton they used to be bastards they I mean they just they've done some nasty yeah. things against Villa Leeds Until this season. not guaranteed at all they were tough Leicester and Leicester in recent years have taken yeah, it to so uh, it's it's not a bad trade-off in terms of potential points next season, let's put it that way. Season starts on the 12th of August, so 5 o'clock on the 12th of August, Luton 3, Villa 1. <laughs> <laughs> three points, let's whip through this. Point number one, Hamburg, we're trying to get promoted. Hamburg, of, a bit like Villa, have won the, uh, the, the old European Cup. They beat Juventus in the final, if I remember, season after... Uh, Filler. Anyway, they were thought they were heading to a 1-0 win, is that right? Against Sandhausen? No, they had won 1-0 against Sandhausen. Oh, right, sorry, they had won. <laughs> so they'd won the game and their fans ran on the pitch to celebrate promotion yeah. when the, 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 rival t- the rival side, Heidenheim, hadn't finished their game. So they were into stoppage time. They were 2-1 down, weren't they, I believe? And scored twice in stoppage time. So all these fans are on the pitch celebrating. Suddenly looked very yeah. stupid. So if you're going to invade the pitch, the one thing you make sure is it's it's set in stone before you yeah. jump on barriers. Heidenheim actually won the division by that because they were they leapfrogged up in the first place with two goals, one in the 93rd and one in the 99th minute. Wow. Drama. So now uh, Hamburg have to play in the playoffs, don't they, against uh, Stuttgart? Yeah. Point number two, the financial dramas of Juventus continue. They were ha- handed a 10-point deduction, which uh, they would have been Champions League in second place. Now they're, I mean, they could get into the conference, couldn't they? Well, on the last yeah, day, they're one of likely. the uh, contenders. Yep, they need results to go their way. 
but they will pay a fine of, I think in pounds, it, in euros, it's 718. I think in pounds, it's just over 600,000 pounds and will not challenge the uh, 10 point penalty. Uh, that settlement was reached this week with the Italian football authorities. So it may be relevant to Villa. Just keep an eye out uh, at the weekend. Meanwhile, final point, Eric Cantona is launching a music career. He's already had a film career, and uh, as a film journalist back in the day, I actually interviewed him uh, for that film career. But he's got a song out, well, a single out, called The Friends We Lost, showing himself in a Shakespearean pose and holding a model of his own head, so Hamlet's kind yeah. of. Releases next Friday, and uh, he's actually uh, going out on tour, isn't he? is he not, with a band next year? Well, he's going with a band next year, but uh, at the moment he's just doing uh, a model, as he put it in his own words, um, a modest piano to play alongside him in the intimate venues. Bizarre. <laughs> Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> right, let's get into this Brighton game quickly. I mean, it's obviously a few days ago, so we don't have to microscopically go through it. Same team. I was feeling confident, apart from there was only one scenario I was worried about, and that was Villa being a goal up. Going into the last 10 minutes, Brentford being ahead against Manchester City. And I thought that was always, they were always capable of that because Manchester City are, are now concentrating on the FA Cup and the Champions League. But the thing is, Brentford beat them at the Etihad. So they were kind of up for that double as well. And you thought if Leeds didn't get an early goal, they'd be in trouble against Spurs and they got hammered pretty convincingly. So you just thought there was that potential of a trap door where yeah. all Brighton had to do was equalise and then would go to, would finish ninth. I was kind of like, if we finish eighth, there's big picture advantages to that. So I'm not that bothered. It's, it was always kind of a win-win, but I, did, I really didn't want to finish ninth. I thought that would yeah. be like deflation. That was the sort of worry I had as well, because like I said at the start, I mean, when the qualified for the Europa Conference, I was sort of saying, oh, I, I didn't actually know I wanted this until it has arrived, and I really did this, want this. What I actually wanted was to finish seventh. I didn't want ninth. Ninth was what I was worried about. And so as the match went on, the sort of like the nerves and tension thing, I got caught up in the moment of it as well. It's just like, right, we have to do this now. You just have to. I think it's sort of the players as well were feeling that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think with with the European thing, uh, the, the Conference League, it gives you a, it gives you a nice narrative 
and a and a proper. It's a tangible achievement. It's a isn't tangible it? achievement, but it gives you a narrative. You can say Emery came. We were struggling. We're one point off in relegation, whatever, and then we finish in the European spot. So it's a, it's a nice happy ending. Yep. It's a proper story arc. If you say, oh, then we finish eighth, no, nobody else outside of you know Villa really gives a toss about that. But this, you know, actually is is a story. And you think, well, after the shit we've been through, yeah, I mean, we're happy. We'll take it and go on from there. I mean, there are problems with it, uh, we'll, but we'll speak about those later on. But it, they're not problems that the owners can't address. It's all about squad depth. And one of the good things is we've got a manager who's well-versed in such European tournaments and playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. So that is, that is the big bonus. I think with the manager we've got, and if that manager and the club actually take it seriously, because it's it's the thrill of qualifying for Europe is great, but we've seen it in the past where they start putting out bogus fucking first 11s and undermine the tournament and suddenly you've got all the fans that have paid good money to go out to watch these games and they seem to see the team sheet and they feel like they've been you know hoodwinked. So that's what I hope that doesn't happen and I hope they take it seriously and uh, progress through the rounds. But anyway, we are uh, going on to something else. But Villa, they read the script perfectly and they've done what they've done very well this season. And it's this started before Emery and that score goals in the first 15 minutes. I mean, I think we gave you the actual stats uh, in the last podcast or two where we've got this impressive record of scoring in the first 15 minutes. And we did again. I mean, Bailey almost got it a bit earlier than uh, Douglas Louise's finish. But it was great work from Ramsey in the build-up to the goal. And uh, he was a threat throughout the whole game match of the day actually highlighted douglas louise's contribution and uh, this is very much what we always, always said about a lot of these players was so much upside to this team and it was like well smith hasn't tapped into that and then gerard didn't tap into it and it's like well are they crap players because you know we got to the point where douglas louise was looking for a move to arsenal and uh, villa would pretty much set their stall at 25 million Arsenal, I think they bid, was it 21 and then 23? Villa are conscious of having to pay Manchester City a certain amount because they were looking at that figure of 25 to cover that sell-on fee. And in the end, uh, Arsenal backed away and we didn't sell him. I mean, you know, at the time I was 100% you take the money because, you know, his contract's coming to an end very soon and he wasn't doing anything. As soon as he signed his, as soon as he signed his contract. Well, that tied in a lot with Emery coming into town. Yeah. And like McGinn, McGinn, you're thinking, well, you know, I was thinking, well, you'd have him on the bench, whatever circumstance, because he, he can do things. Revelation now. Mings, consistent. Brilliant. Really good. Watkins. I mean, McGinn had one of his, Revelation. McGinn had one of his best games of the season. So Emery's really tapped in and, and Louise, you know, just to use him as an example, uh, I mean, he played 77 games under Dean Smith. And this is one of the things I could never understand. His early games, remember that against Bournemouth, he scored. And you're thinking, whoa, no, whoa here we go. We've got a Brazilian who can score from 30 yards. We're going to, you know, he's going to at least contribute four or five goals a season. 77 games, and he scored three goals under Smith. Six assists in total. Then under Gerard, 36 games, scored three goals. Under Emery... 25 games, five goals, five assists. That is what you want. I'm thinking what Grealish would have supplied under Emery because his goals and assists were way down yeah. what they should be, especially, you know, his monetary value, what he went for. But if he had that impact on, you know, Grealish, I think uh, you'd have seen a massive boost in his figures as well. So, yeah, Louise, revelation. Now he's he knows what he's doing. I think that's, that's come through a lot of the player interviews. It's just clarity in their role in this team. Yeah, and that showed in his goal, didn't it? it you know, he, for so so much under Smith and Gerrard, he was, you know, he was the deep-lying player, but he didn't have licence to 
to get involved, which is criminal, really, yeah. considering his ball playing ability and his ability to strike a ball. He, you know, he ghosts in again, Ramsey down the, the left, causing problems, cuts it back. Great finish, one nil. The place erupts, and you kind of think from that point, right, go on and win yeah. it now. And I, I think as soon as we scored early, I yeah. thought we'd win because I just thought the players, the players all, we've got, we've got momentum now. And generally speaking, we have Brighton are going to have to. But you say that you say that, but it wasn't actually. it wasn't as clear cut no. as that because no, there was very much a cat. There was a I cat and mouse game going on because this game was played pretty much centre circle. You could draw a straight line on the edge of that centre circle in both both sides of the uh, mm-hmm. halfway line, and that's where the game was being played. It was real cat and you know cat and mouse. And initially, it was real high press at the start, and both teams were making you know the opposite each of his fans very nervous I mean there was a yep. time where Martinez played across his within his six yard box and there was a Brighton player almost on the edge of the six yard box and it was like oh shit shades of trying to play it out the back against Manchester City and Liverpool back under Smith yeah well I mean Brighton they're the Brighton they're a bit like a Swiss army now aren't they? they've always they've another attachment another player just to, to do a task oh, we need somebody to go down yeah. the wing we'll We'll unlock this attachment, and we need a player to do this, and they'll do something. We need a player to break the offside trap, or we'll use Evan Ferguson and Undav. I don't think Undav's as good as Ferguson, but they were getting through that offside trap pretty easily. When you look at how effective the high wire was against Spurs, and as far as Enciso went against Mali Cash, I think Cash did okay in the whole game. He got a lot of stick for being out of position a few times, but he's playing against probably two of the best wide men in the second half of the season. First of all, Enciso for an hour, and then Matoma for the other half an hour. I think. Yeah. Yeah. For Cash to stay on the pitch yeah. and for Villa to win the game, he must have done something right. So, you know, get off his back and nothing. Especially um especially considering he hasn't played much football really in the re- in recent months. So to step in and have to go to Anfield and have a difficult assignment and then the Brighton one, he just stuck to his task knowing that he was probably not under too much pressure to have to make much happen in their half. It was more well, uh, about and Cissé was giving him a, a rugged time, let's put it that way. I mean, it's not as if he was yeah. com- comfortable and then hitting yeah. the game. I mean, this is the thing, uh, I'm just on a s- quicker side, the five reasons to be cheerful. And somebody said, oh, and don't forget, our you know, academy players are ripping it up in the championship. Yeah, but you look at that fucking Brighton team that came to Villa Park. You got two 18-year-olds played. One, the lad came on as a sub, but there's Ian Ferguson and then and CISO, who just, you know, he was like a real pain in the ass, literally. <laughs> you know, he's 19. Then you've got the Swedish guy who's 19 as well. So there's four teenagers and then you've got a, uh, is it Ecuadorian? Sacido came on, he's 21. You've got obviously got Colwell, 20 in defence as well. These are all players that are younger than some of the, the guys that we're raving about that actually aren't doing it at this level. Yeah, well, like you said, in, in CISO, 19, he's the same age as John Duran and probably Louis Barry as well. So compare the three of them. Yeah, so you've got to, uh, you know, have a bit of caution when you, you, you're getting the hype machine out for some of the Villa Academy because there is a, a level where you should be performing and the Brighton guys are uh, kind of scarily good and they're doing it, aren't they? It, on the job, so to speak. But they're, they're just a well-drilled side and a well-run club in general. They got done for that offside on the line, wasn't it? It was, And you, and you just thought, yeah. does that scenario where you know at VAR again well we you know we gave Villa the last one you know this is a tight one we should give it to them so it was always like Russian roulette and they would get one in the end and, and they, they obviously did uh, once we'd gone 2-0 up the goal that was initially ruled out another, another, they uh, gave them it back and another, another another good another good goal for the second one wasn't it you know McGinn sniping around in the middle of the park just doing what he's been doing for weeks Bailey picks the ball up and to be fair 
to him for all of everybody who's criticised him recently for not releasing the ball quickly enough. First time pass right into the path of Ramsey, who's really clever, isn't he? Runs right in front of the yeah. defender. So if he brings him down, it's a pen. Takes the keeper out, nudges it round, round him, and Watkins probably gets his easiest goal yeah. of the season. And at that point, I was sort of reasonably confident. Obviously, even Brighton got the goal back. But the, the, probably the, one of the bigger moments of the game came just before the break, I think, when, at 2-1, when they had a great passage of play from, from them. Little ball in behind. Martinez makes a huge uh, save. One which, on one, you know, going yeah. in at half-time yeah. at 2 two, Yeah, to go in at 2-2 two, two would have been a totally different game, second half. Them scoring, I mean, it was just before half-time. It wasn't like something you thought, uh, it's out of nowhere, put it that way. It was, it was kind of, well, on reflection of how this game's going, they probably deserve just to be one goal behind. Obviously yeah. not ideal for our situation because you want to be breaking up the cigars at halftime yeah. and uh, <laughs> coasting to victory, but it did leave you with a bit of concern because, as, as I said, I was always fearful of that, that last 10 minute or so trap where you're winning by just one goal, they get an equaliser and all the other teams are winning if you're you know, in the context of the European spot. But Villa went about it pretty well. I mean, we had, I've lost count of how many great free kick positions we had. It was three when they're on the didn't really do anything with them. And this is a bit more later on. I think Ramsey had, had missed a couple before that. One of them was, uh, oof. yeah. I mean, Bailey smashes it, but it's you should still be scoring. Yeah. It's happening at full speed that anything can kind of go wrong because you're not really in full control, are you? But you no. should be get should no. be putting it away, especially Ramsey. Because one thing I say about Ramsey is he, you've no idea what's the stronger fit. I mean, he's as assisting his left foot, assisting his right foot in this game, in, and he scored in both feet as well from equal distance. It's just those ones where he's inside the six yard box. He, he hit the bar against Newcastle and he missed that one. It's just like almost like the rush of blood because he's travelling at such pace to get in there. It's it, you know, unlucky for him because I think actually his performance deserved a goal. I think the third goal have obviously killed the game, but he was fantastic on the day in a really tight game. And you thought someone's got to really step up and take the responsibility here and take the game to them just by carrying the ball and getting us up the field. And he, but was he that also player. dribbles as well. He he, yeah, I mean, times. he's been dribbling more I mean. recently than before. Just... Before it was just like pure surge, wasn't it? And pace and surging and running into the space. Tricky, but now he, he take actually, if you're not concentrating and you look up, suddenly you see him do a bit of a trick and uh, befuddle one of their players. And you think, oh, that's, what's Bailey doing? He's obviously switched wings. But then you look, oh, shit, it's actually uh, Ramsey. Yeah, and of course, then Ramsey had the chance later on, didn't he, as well, where Buendia puts a lovely little ball through just towards the end. Which, you know, fair play to Buendia, actually, when he came on, I thought he put put in a good little shift and tried to compose us a little bit. I mean, that, that's a good thing about Buendia is like, you know, even though he wasn't playing in that kind of game where you, when you're one nil up and you need some intensity, actually, Buendia coming on, it's not like just bringing on some short player and you're thinking, oh, we, we could get done physically here. He actually adds to the bite in the middle and the tenacity. He does, and he's not a foul. He's not afraid to foul no. when he needs to just pull someone back, which means he can break the game. I saw a stat today where he's got one of the highest rates of just niggly fouls for not no the match sort of, highest rate of fouls without getting booked. Yeah, he's the most fouls in the Premier League without getting a single booking this season. I think by a the, long way. What a shit! I think the officials are scared to book him because they know what he's <laughs> like. But yeah, once. Uh, we didn't really have any scary moments. It, it was more missing chances as opposed to. Uh, having to uh you know fend off brighton brighton's threat really i think we were reasonably comfortable i mean obviously they're a capable team and they're very good on the counter as well so there's always a live threat there was a bit of sort of that stick or twist thing as well i think which emery's been pretty good at in terms of managing the game not overextending ourselves and maybe going oh let's chase the game try and get the third and getting caught out we didn't want to do that we picked our moments quite well 
waited for them to make the mistake. A little bit like they did, as you said, it was a bit of a chess match. But strangely, actually, throughout the game, I, you know, for a team who were above us in the table and have, you know, deservedly got the plaudits they have and play great football, there's a reason that Everton put five past them. There's a reason why Forest put three past them. I always thought whenever we got in the final third, we were going to make something happen. Well, that said, I think if they needed points, I wasn't they impressed need, with them defensively. Yeah, if they needed points, I think you, you'd seeing a slightly different team. Well, Dunk was on the bench, wasn't he? I don't know why they sort of left their captain on the bench, and he was on the bench before. Yeah, as well, yeah, they're not. I mean, game. they weren't playing every the amount of teenagers they've played. Uh, I mean, as I said, if they needed points here, I think you see a slightly different team, and that would have been uh, a lot more difficult as well. I, I think they were probably stronger without Dunk because he played against Everton and Forest and the, the ship the eight when he was in the pitch. So right, that's probably why he got dropped. <laughs> yeah, I think that was near enough the same team that started against Man City with them. They drew one each, so they were pretty. I thought I was pretty impressed with Brighton. Other than their whinginess, they are a whingy little bunch. Aren't yeah, they? but this kind of uh, that tenacity that's in you know they got a little fair share of uh, South Americans in there as well yeah. as we do, yeah. and also uh, probably worth mentioning. Uh, very similar to the Tottenham game, a really good game of football that, again, the officials did their best to try and ruin. Yeah. I thought the officials were dreadful again. I think we're going to see a lot of these games because with this high line, you're obviously tempting a lot of VAR involvement and that is one of the downsides of it. Well, you're challenging the rules almost. You're pushing them. My thing wasn't really with the offsides, I think, because the rules are what they are. My thing was the, the sort of flippant just giving out yellow cards early in the game and you're like well you've set precedent now and he was so inconsistent yeah. and then of course then there was the, the back pass incident later in the game which was absolutely bizarre when they're like passes it back to the goalie the goalie picks it up and you think hang on a minute that's about as blatant a back pass if you've ever seen all yeah, season that, I mean, that was in front of the hole it was pretty uh pretty blatant yeah. and it just ignored it anyway mcginn saw the game out normal uh corner flag uh trick yeah, you knew it was game over at that point, didn't you? No one was getting past that backside. Brighton didn't care. I mean, you know, at that stage, it's like they're, they've qualified, they're, they're above us, they've done their due. And and to be fair, you know, to Brentford and Spurs, you know, Brighton gave it probably a better game than uh, those fans would have did. expected. Uh, they were really, they could have won that game. I was really impressed with them. But uh, good scenes at the end. And as we said, the atmosphere was you know, yeah. really loud throughout and, you know, fabulous. Uh, Especially with the last 10 minutes. I think the fan it got it got a little bit quiet when everyone got very nervy, yeah. and then I think once there was a I can't remember the exact moment in the game, a ball went out for like a throw in or a corner or something, and the fans really realised that it's on us now just to pull them over the line, and the, they, they they've really uh, came to the party. So, yeah. All four I think that as moment well. it kind of dropped, and then there was a rousing moment where they you know they they knew they had to help out, and then it kind of dropped again just out of nervousness. I think. Yeah. I mean, I stuck around till the players. I think I, I left before Emery did his. I think I was leaving as Emery did his kind of walk. Around. Did you stick around for that? Yeah, I stuck around for for most of it. I was there for about a good forty minutes after the game, actually. Should probably be a first, as I never normally stay for those lap of appreciations. As normally the season's not ended well, but it was really good. He spoke well. It was it was strange how respectful the fans were. You know, sort of Martinez spoke, McGinn spoke. Everyone was cheering and loud. Everyone went really quiet for yeah. um for Emery, almost out of respect, and, uh, which is quite so interesting. Martinez kids uh, scoring a hat trick against him in front of the Holt. Yeah, after his dad had saved the first one and got <laughs> <Yeah>. resoundingly booed. <laughs> right, uh, let's round up the show with a bit of media muppetry. Right, Phil, what's in the trough this week? Well, we'll start with a very quick one. If anybody that watched Match of the Day on the BBC that will notice that a graphic came up whenever they showed Watkins' goal saying Watkins was the first 
player to score 15 top flight goals for Villa since David Platt in 1990-91. That's, I, I feel a bit sorry for Christian Benteke. Nobody remembers that he scored 19 in his debut season in the Premier League. Yeah, I think, I think it's because uh, his career went downhill to such an extent that Villa fans have forgotten who <laughs> that he played for us. So. <laughs> It's a bit harsh, but uh, the main one, <laughs> the main one is that um, it came from a journalist called Michael Hinks for the the Eye um, with Villa Aye. and Brighton with Aye. Villa. <laughs> with Villa and Brighton both celebrating it's the tone of his report which we've already alluded to earlier on it's just summed up with the beginning no European football for Chelsea or Tottenham so a match report about Villa and Brighton and the start with Chelsea and Tottenham could be a factor that impacts Villa and Brighton's bid to finish as high next season this just continues the trend of everyone thinking that Villa and Brighton and even Newcastle well not Newcastle but Villa and Brighton disrupting the top six as a one-off we started a few weeks ago with that TIFO video with Villa outperforming their stats and now it's just the inability of the press to believe that anyone can disrupt the big six as soon as the final whistle went at the end of the season he couldn't wait to get this report out there was a BBC interview I think there was four four of them I think it was, is it Radio 5 I, 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 don't, I don't pay much attention but Chris Sutton was on it Mika Richards was on it I've mentioned it already and uh, the question was can Villa challenge for top four next season and you know, gender switched straight away to Chelsea and Spurs having no European football so that's going to help them get back in and they couldn't see Chelsea not being in the top four next season I'm thinking I think Chelsea have got to worry about Villa getting in front of them. That's all I'm going to say. It's not. A, it's not a given that they're going to improve that much. They've got an enormous overhaul, and just because you got you know Pochettino coming in, he, he doesn't guarantee you trophies. Geez. No, well, no. <laughs> I think he might do what Emery does and just get some organised because that's why you get paid the big bucks, isn't it? Just that yeah. baseline of uh, organisation yeah. and uh, not being a bunch of chumps like especially Spurs have been in, in recent uh, weeks. Uh, any nuggets? Well, The Athletic did their alternative awards of the season, which like this thing is like the hardest shot, which was Kevin De Bruyne's at 85.8 miles per hour. But in keeping with the overperformance... Well, hold thing, on a minute, but the Premier League have given out an award for the hardest shot. Well, they said the, the side Ben Rama. They gave it a yeah. So the Athletic isn't isn't doing this as an alternative awards. It's actually because the stats boffins, Opta or whoever are doing these have have made such a thing called the hardest shot. Then yeah, everybody's kind of adopting it now. Yeah, but in, in, in keeping with the overperformance theme, it's everyone's favourite diver, Harry Kane. So if you can compare each player in the Premier League's non-penalty goals with their non-penalty expected goals tally, their XG, Harry Kane overperformed more than any other player this season, converting more than eight goals above expectation based on the quality of chances he found himself in. So so what's the, the spiel now that we give? Oh, Harry Kane will never keep that. It's unsustainable to outperform your XG. I mean, that's what we're meant to say here, isn't it? Or is that just when they're talking about Villa? I don't know. You lost me at XG. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long uh-huh. season, Dave. It's been a very long season. Uh, before we say goodbye, I just want to say a big thank you to the My Man Said members for supporting the show throughout the season, for their support uh, past present and future. And a big shout out also, especially for Paul Summers and all I know, they're called Woo Boy. Woo Boy. Big thank you to both of you for signing up as members uh, in the last couple of days. If you become a Mailman said member, you do get ad-free shows, which will be appealing, especially if you're vegetarian, if you uh, know what I mean. And you get extra shows. There'll be a few of those uh, popping up uh, over the next uh, few weeks. And 
inclusive membership of Match Club. I'd love to talk about Match Club, but the first rule of Match Club is you aren't allowed to talk about Match Club, and that's the second rule. Sometimes I do drop hints what Match Club is, but it is the essential villa community if you want something above and beyond uh, the standard of what's out there. So please do go to myomansaid.com and click on the membership link there for more details and join up. Please do follow My Old Man Said across uh, social media. Obviously, it's uh, the summer break now, so I will be looking at ways to improve things, give them a polish and revamp. But we will continue on throughout the summer. Probably won't be bombarding you with uh, nonsense about transfers unless uh, there's actually something in them. So, uh, so stay tuned for that, but the show will continue on. Although there's no something for the weekend now, because obviously there's no games to be played. Any final words from you, chaps? Just a, a good end to uh, what's been a, you know, started as a pretty uh, challenging season and has ended really well. One of the best ends to a domestic season I can remember in a long time. Yeah, I think the thing about the Europe thing, it gave it quite a nice full stop, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Look at, look at us yeah. now. Nice, <laughs> to, nice to achieve something like that at Villa Park. It's barely ever in my lifetime have we done that we've always gone into the last game and sort of either had nothing to play for or it was yeah. already done even when we were winning trophies or whatever like Europe was already assured or stuff like that so to do it on the last day in that fashion was great and just a really good occasion and a good day in general yeah. well done to all involved yeah. and they're going to have to now top those celebrations whenever we achieve something even better next time yeah I think there's definitely there's room there That's that was what was exciting it's like oh good it's, it's at this level now now let's uh, let's do something on the pitch to justify us uh, from an atmosphere point of view taking it to a whole new level right until next week it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye goodbye are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans